This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. How safe is it to cycle in your suburb? After the tragic death of a 22-year-old man who was killed at the West Melbourne intersection just last Thursday, there have been calls for an immediate ban on left-hand turns in that particular intersection. The state government says it will consider any suggested road safety improvements. But, Daniel Miles, yet again, it has sparked a wider and ongoing debate in many communities around how safe they feel cycling in their own town or suburb, whether it be as recreation or as a way to commute. Yeah, it's an important question, Rochelle, but as you noted, sadly, it's not a new one and it always seems to be that it's a tragedy that brings this circular conversation back up to the top of the mainstream media and and on our lips about what can we do to keep cyclists safe? Because a look at the raw data alone is actually really baffling. One in nine days in Australia, a cyclist dies. Which is just astounding. When I first read that this morning, I had to fact check it multiple times because it floored me. Mm. A cyclist dies in Australia every nine days. So something has to change, doesn't it? And I don't think it's just one thing. Of course, it's not just one thing. You know, whether we need to look at infrastructure, if infrastructure is being built at all, whether that be Mm. bike lanes or the type of bike lanes, you know, the difference between a concrete bollard and just a white line, whether or not you need something to be built altogether in regional areas, or Mm -hmm. how much of it, Daniel, comes down to a change in our attitude. That's a really interesting point because as much as we're talking about cyclists, how to keep cyclists safe, it's not just a conversation for cyclists, it's for anyone that hops on the road. And we were chatting and there still seems to be this overwhelming feeling of us versus them on the road. Whose responsibility is it to get out of whose way? Who owns the road? And and I mean, just that visual idea of a, of a white line down the side of the road. Is that enough to keep people safe? And And what part of this responsibility also goes to the people behind four wheels as as, as well as those on two? And then what responsibility goes to those who are designing the roads and are Mm. designing the infrastructure and how many cyclists are on those boards when pen is being put to paper to design to what makes our cities and suburbs safe so that both cyclists and motorists can share the road side by side safely. And more of us are cycling now. That's the other thing. So... What do we do? How can bikes and cars sit side by side safely on our roads? And will we ever lose the us versus them between cars and bikes? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. Do you ride a bike, Daniel? Look... Uh, as Queen famously said, I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. There's two things that hold me back, though. One is an abhorrent level of fitness, which just turns me into a puddle every time I try and ride a bike. And two is, you know, out in southwest Victoria and Port Ferry, where I live, it can feel a bit like Russian roulette when I hop on the bike. You know, I'm, there are parts of town that we don't even have footpaths, let alone bike lanes. And when you're hopping over a highway or, or, you know, trying to bunny hop a gravel pile with a, a B-double going beside you, I think it's a, it can be a bit of a scary thing. So 
I do, but nowhere near as much as I would like to. And I think that's probably the way a lot of people feel. This text saying green lights for cyclists to go first and another saying, unfortunately, until car drivers are trained to share the road, the dangers will persist. Some car drivers just hate cyclists. Julie's in Elwood. Morning, Julie. Good morning, Rochelle. What needs to change, do you think? Uh, I don't think it's rocket science, Rochelle. We just need more proper separated bike lanes. I mean, that's really what's going to keep cyclists safe and it'll keep motorists from, you know, having those horrible lapses of attention that mean that suddenly they're responsible for, you know, terrible, terrible outcomes. Um, So I think it's important for everyone. Is a strip of paint enough, do you think, Julie? We've got bike lanes at the moment. We've got the, the, you know, the highlighted picture of the cyclist that shares the road to the left when you're driving. Is that enough for both cyclists and drivers? Or would you prefer to see, you know, a concrete bollard going the length to actually physically separate the two? Yeah, I don't think the paint is enough, um, especially when we see those, you know, little lanes that are kind of part parking lane, part cyclist lane. So kind of the cyclists are being told to ride, you know, right next to those doors. Um, and that's a super dangerous place for a cyclist to be because, you know, all it needs is one driver to open their door and either you hit the door or you swerve into the traffic lane and, you know, that's so dangerous for everyone. Pe- yeah, Penny, thank you. Kate's in Castlemaine. We're actually going to go to Castlemaine in just a moment because many in the local community there have been campaigning for changes to their roads. But this text says those dedicated bike lines are good, but we need road mirrors for when motorists need to cross over that lane. That's a really interesting idea. And another that says, here we go again, let's speed up the car drivers and cyclists required to learn the road rules as well. This is not actually a beat up on motorists at all. I mean, I think what we're trying to say, Daniel, is that we both use the roads now. Now. Mm. And I think there has been a big shift in society where even if you don't ride a bike, like me, <laughs> do mm-hmm. not ride a bike, I understand that there is a huge need for cyclists. It's better for everyone if we have more cyclists on the road. And the reasons to why people cycle now, it might even now be purely financial. Oh, 100%. And we've seen the number of people off the back of not only the COVID lockdown, but the increase in cost of living, the increase in petrol prices. We have so many more people that are choosing to cycle these days than, than just two or three years ago. And I don't think we're, we're potting either side. I think this is a conversation that we're trying to have with all road users. And we want to hear from everyone. If you're a driver and you don't feel safe having cyclists on, on your left or your right as it goes, let us know. If you're a cyclist and you've got a brilliant idea on how to fix this, let us know. Shane's a cyclist and he's called in from Preston. Good morning, Shane. Good uh, Well, good morning, everybody. Yes, um, uh, I'd go, I've been riding since 1985 in this city. And um, one thing I'd implore that most cyclists do is just know that you're not going to get the respect or the rights that you have on the road and be aware, be always looking, be always aware of what you're doing on a cycle because you may have the rights. Do not demand your rights as a cyclist respect that the fact is you're not going to get them. 90% of the drivers respect your rights, but there's that other 10% where you're not going to get um, any acknowledgement, whether they be on a telephone, whether they're gazing at something else. You've got to understand as a cyclist, 
you are on the lowest ebb when you're, you're using that road. That well, look, Shane, I think you could almost say the same thing about pedestrians. So, so I'm being really vigilant with my daughter at the moment, who's nine, and she's only moments away from, you know, maybe walking down the street on her own with her friends and whatnot. And I say to her, just because the green man has gone green, that doesn't mean you should just take a step out onto the road. You still always need to check whether or not cars are coming because nine times out of ten, someone will whip around that corner or will run that amber light. So it's that idea. But then I think, Shane, it goes beyond that too, doesn't it, of maybe you're doing the right thing, but is the design, Daniel, not right? Like that horrific accident that we've just seen, both mm. the cyclist and the truck driver both had green lights. So yeah. you need to look at how we're designing our our roads and our intersections. Yeah, it's not just an us versus them thing that we have to get out of our minds. It's also we've got to have the right infrastructure there. And it it really is a a tragic case that's brought this back up with, with Angus Collins sadly passing. We can talk about fixing certain areas, and I'm sure everyone listening can think of one spot in their town which they don't feel particularly safe on, be it cycling, be it driving. There's always those little parts around town that that will flare up, but do we need to absolutely redesign the way that these things work from go to woe so that we don't get ourselves in those situations where two people have a green light and it ends in a tragedy like it has? Um, Bill's called in from Wodonga. Bill, good morning. You're a bus driver, I understand. Uh, yeah, I do bus driving sometimes. Now, some of the lanes are ridiculous where they put them, um, especially up the east end, east Melbourne end of the city. Um, outside some of the hotels, when we're trying to drop off our international or even tourists, you open up the bus door and they actually step out into a bus uh, bicycle lane yeah. itself because they've put it on the left-hand side of the parking lane. And it is so hard. Like, you're trying to unload 50 people, all their bags, and it just, it's its a danger zone, and the passengers get hurt too. Mm. That's and just there we like are, Rochelle. Yeah, That's that infrastructure floor. word again. That, I just, I mean, I just wonder how a design like that bill gets over the line. Well, you often think when you when you see it and then all of a sudden it starts happening, you think, how does someone actually go to university to get that type of degree to design that? And it, it happens in the country too. We've got it up here in Albury-Wodonga. You've got the bike lane on the left, then you've got the cars parked, then you've got the normal road. Like really, car drivers, truck drivers, everything have to work as a team. And like everyone should be riding around the right-hand side of a parked car not on the left in between that and they only give them a little small room so once you open that door who's at fault if i smash into it as a bike rider who's at fault i don't know yeah the outcomes can be absolutely tragic bill thank you and daniel miles you know we were even talking off air about where does education and campaigns come into this which is a, just a, a part of the puzzle and how long has it taken all of us to now have it ingrained that when you open your car door, you don't just open your car door, you check first. But that's mm. taken a long time for that to become muscle memory in a lot of us. Yeah, it almost feels like a generational thing that's got to come in in some ways. Like I said at the top, we're having these conversations in a cyclical nature that it comes around every time we see a tragedy like this, that we get that reminder of one metre. We see the advertising, but you compare that to the one in nine stat, it sounds like 
the advertising might not be working, the education. Is it actually working both ways, which is the ongoing conversation we're having. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles is with you in ABC Warrnambool. And we're talking about road safety for cyclists. How can cyclists and motorists share the road? And what infrastructure would you like to see where you live? one three hundred triple two seven seven four. So many ideas flooding in on texts and on calls and we will try and get through as many of them as we can. Lots, Daniel, around just changes to rules around what cyclists should be wearing. So lots of mm-hmm. high vis. I wonder if that's just a, a simple change. Is it a small step that we can take on a long journey? Um, we've had Abby text in from Mount Evelyn with a really interesting point. My husband and I no longer ride on the road since having kids. We now ride trails on our mountain bikes, mainly because there's much less risk. Why can't we have ad campaigns on TV and radio to educate drivers and cyclists. And that's one thing that we're we're sort of trying to grapple with. It's not just about cyclists, is it, Rochelle? It's about the role that drivers play at the same time. And how do we have this educational movement together at the same time? Penny Gilbert is from Cycle Safe in the Mount Alexander Shire, which covers the area of Castlemaine, and we've already had texts around that area. Penny, good morning. What is your community calling out for? What I guess, improvements or changes would you like to see in your area? Yeah, well, it's been interesting hearing everyone call in because um, it seems to be universal. We need off-road cycling paths. I'm not sure how that can happen in the city so much, but definitely in regional areas. We've got the space for it. We've got beautiful landscapes for it. And it is definitely the safest possible way to get more people bike riding is to have paths that aren't, aren't aren't on the road at all yeah penny i'd bet my house that you're probably a cyclist do you feel <laughs> yeah. safe on the road when you are biking around um look Castlemaine is relatively safe there's places that i won't ride i won't ride through the main part of town at all um and unfortunately we've had a lot of flood damage up here and so our beautiful paths have been damaged and that's forcing more people on the roads and we're fine. I'm having conversations with people saying, whew, I prefer to be on the path. It's really an, an event to be riding just to catch the train to work. Yeah, so um, I do ride. I wear my high vis. I've got flashing lights, but it's never enough. Like your caller yeah. um, said, you still need to be super vigilant. So, yeah, I don't let my kids ride into town at the moment because there's no tracks. So, Penny, I guess there would be lots of people nodding their heads at the moment saying this is a carbon copy of what our community is going through, (laughs) particularly in some of the outer suburbs and in regional Victoria. How do voices get heard? Because, I mean, this is a town planning issue. So, I mean, what happens? Is this lots of discussions at school gates or is it picketing local council? Like, what do you do? Yeah, so we're really fortunate in Castlemaine. We started Cycle Safe six years ago um, as an advocacy group, and now we've actually formed an umbrella group over Cycle Safe, and that's called Mount Alexander Cycling. And so we've got all of the cycling groups and then have opened up to individuals being part of our group now. And our primary task or role is to be working with our local council to try and get policies and and they're coming up with a new um, they're calling it the active transport 
um, something. <laughs> I don't know. They had a walk Action strategy. Plan. <laughs> it's a strategy. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, it's, I'm really pleased to hear that they've got some actual cyclists on the committee um, because when you have a walking and cycling strategy, uh, and if you're not a cyclist, you just think a footpath is okay for cyclists as well, and it's not. Penny, as a passionate cyclist, it must break your heart that you don't feel like you can have your kids cycle where they want to go. And part of me wonders, are we going to lose out on a on a generation of, of cyclists who physically have to hop off the bike because at some point it's no longer safe for them? I mean, I remember, you know, riding a bike around as a kid, 13, going to footy training. It was one of my favourite things. Mm. And then there just becomes a point where you can't go where you need to go on a bike. And that must really frustrate you. Yeah, well, you've just highlighted two of my um, top things is kids around that age moving themselves around. They have the independence and the awareness. That's the perfect age, you know, and being able to go to another sporting event, but doing it independently because how many kids get driven around? How many, you know, how much driving do parents do anyway that's increased a lot since I was a kid even. And then um, and then just taking away that bit of independence from children of that age who need to find find who they are in the world, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah it's, really, it's really disappointing that there's not safe ways um, for children and for parents to feel that their children are safe. So we run a yearly, two yearly um, education program for young teenagers about how to get around the town and I just couldn't run the summer one because the tracks that I would say go and ride on have been damaged damaged by floods. Yeah. Oh, Penny, look, it's such important work that you do and I think there'll be lots of people nodding in agreement here and there's so many pieces to this puzzle that it feels like need to be discussed. So, Penny, thanks for your time. Thank you. Penny Gilbert, she's from Cycle Safe at Mount Alexander Shire. It just took me back, Daniel, like riding to school, right? Mm. So I was nine or something, lived in a small country town, so in Trafalgar, it didn't take long, just ride down Contingent Street, you know, down the main street on my BMX with the milk crate yep. strapped to the, to the front. Love it. And then mm-hmm. you would get to the highway, but there was a crossing supervisor there. So, yep. And then that was kind of it. Little and then the, the school put in a, a little path that took you the last bit, and I would just ride to and from school. So, the fact that some people potentially can't do that, yeah, or parents can't let them do that because they don't feel safe. And, and as Penny mentioned, that's all of a sudden that's more driving that you have to do, that's more responsibility for mum and dad in the car. And I think we all spend a lot of time in the car, too I much, I'd love man. To, to spend a little bit less. <laughs> that's it. Greg's in Yarraville. Good day, Greg. Oh, hi, how are you going? Good, what do you want to say? Um, look, I've been a long-time commuter coming uh, into Footscray Road, into the city, and for a long time it's been a giant construction zone. And I think when they um, create these diversions and, and bike paths and whatnot for cyclists, they don't realise the implications of some of their decisions. I, I don't think there's anybody who designs this stuff who actually rides a bike. Yeah, that was so, what we thought when you're looking at, I mean, this is quite often the case, isn't it, when we look at how things are designed yeah. or planned out. Of course. The real people yeah. that live and breathe it, how involved are they? What would be one of the main changes you would make, Greg? We've got ideas flying at us <laughs> everywhere at the moment. What would you do? Uh, I think, like I said, if there was somebody who rode a bike 
and would know if they made a decision uh, that affects cyclists, they'd say, oh, actually, this isn't a good idea. Maybe we should do something else. I mean, there's so many problems with cycling infrastructure. There's, still, there's no one answer, obviously. But, um, you know, I was talking to the, the guys who were at the intersection where Angus was killed this morning, the yeah. lollipop guys, yes. and they're there from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. And uh, Angus was hit at 12.30. Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. You but can't man those, 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 no, those intersections can't. the entire day, can you? No. no, so that actual thing where they're putting guys with stop signs, <sighs> it's not yeah. it's stopping cyclists, but I don't think it's doing anything to truck traffic. So anyway, Good on it's you, frustrating. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for calling in, Greg. There's plenty coming in on the text line and lots of calls. Harold's called in from McLeod. Good morning, Harold. Good morning and good morning, listeners. Yes, I'm I'm blind and uh, I am very aware of the the, the onset of electric vehicles. Uh, I think people designing infrastructure have to have to uh, prepare the uh, environment for the new conditions that will prevail. Uh, electric vehicles. Uh, are definitely coming, and they'll come on. I understand fairly, fairly, fairly quickly in large numbers once the the international market settles down. Yeah, I know they're um, very hard to hear, Harold, aren't they? Like, oh, they sneak up on you like a librarian, as they, they say. <laughs> they do, and they're so. They're so quiet as well. You can't even hear them as pedestrians. I mean, that's just a part of the infrastructure. Harold, thank you. You never know who's listening, Daniel. There's a text here from Scott McGrory, who is actually an Olympic cycling gold medalist. He says, driver culture in Australia is quite poor. I actually felt safer riding in Mumbai than I do in Melbourne. Drivers weren't as intolerant there as I've found in Australia. Europe has a more tolerant culture as well. And that's kind of what we were talking about. So I wonder whether that will ever change. It's taken us a mm. long time. We don't consider ourselves to be a cycling culture here. And if you are, then you're just a part of the cycling culture, but you're separate to everybody else. And can we break that down a little bit? If they're doing it in Mumbai, they're doing it in parts of Europe, could Australia ever have that culture? I mean, I feel like we're slowly click clacking our way there if you go to any you know any cafe on a saturday morning the lycra brigade is there and that's that's you know that's gathering momentum but it isn't part of our our cultural identity the way it is if you go to amsterdam any of those places where they've got the infrastructure set up and it's actually part of traveling and visiting those areas um one person who i'd i'm really interested to hear from is Anne, who's called in from albion and you drive an uber i understand Yes, I do. How do you find it on the roads with cyclists? Um, look, I think Melbourne is unique with lots of things happening on the roads. And I mean cyclists, hot people who hire the bikes and scooters and pedestrians that jaywalk. We've got hook turns, we've got uh, bike paths and we've got tram stops and all of that. So it's very complex. And overall, people are very polite. I have found very polite people however i think that there the government is um doing a good job with the footscray road um bike path that someone else mentioned and any new areas any new infrastructure with trains we've got new train stations and so on yeah. incorporate bikes in that and also i also think that all cyclists because 
it's very dangerous with so many cars on the road for people on bikes and scooters, etc. You must wear fluoro and at least stripes and and helmet that's fluoro because I we've got a lot to look at and we have um, people if people do one little thing wrong like step onto a road and I've got the green light I think I'm going to hit them but it's only a pedestrian stepping on you know what I mean yeah it's a lot happening and cyclists I want to encourage and they need to you know get better organized and lobby the government uh, make sure they are getting lots and lots of more bike paths and I think uh and the word complex you know our roads are complex you know I drove in the heart Mm -hmm. of the city the other day which I try to avoid like the plague and all of a sudden (laughs) I found myself in a situation where I had to do a hook turn you know and I was just I kept going I was like no it's petrifying I can't I can't do it but in that instance, how do cyclists come around? Because all I was doing was panicking about mm. how the hell I was going to do this hook turn. That's all you focus on. And there are a million other things going on as well. So whether it be change in attitude or infrastructure, how do we keep everyone on the road safe? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Daniel Miles with you in ABC Warrnambool. We're talking about how safe you feel on the roads. And lots of people are just saying point blank multiple times, bikes and cars just shouldn't share the same road, that it just mm. shouldn't happen. But I just wonder how possible that is. Yeah, and that all comes back to the idea of designing roads and the way that we do that. It's really a polarising subject, isn't it? I mean, we've got people texting him here saying cycles are unroadworthy for many reasons and should be banned from roads, where other people are saying, you know, we're here to support this and, and coexist in the same situation, but the infrastructure isn't there for us. And it's such a crucial time to be having this conversation, isn't it? Because it's not only about the safety of people who are already riding, like Angus Collins, who, who sadly lost his life, but we've got more people than ever on the yep. push bike. Ben Beck is a senior research fellow at the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine at Monash University. Ben, is it as simple as that fundamentally bikes and cars just can't share the same road? I, I think really we need to kind of change the dialogue around what this is about. And this is really about people. And this is people moving about cities in terms of their day-to-day lives and whether that's choosing um, a car to do that, whether that's choosing to do that on foot or on bike or on public transport, what we need to be able to do is make sure that people can get to their key destinations safely. Um, As we've heard throughout the conversation this morning, for, for people who want to ride bikes, the key for us is really being able to provide them with infrastructure that that, um, physically separates them from motor vehicles, um, whether that be through off-road paths or on-road protected bike lanes that provide physical separation, such as concrete bollards or or landscaped areas. But is something like that physically physically and, I mean, fiscally achievable, Ben, that the cost to to separate bike line bike lanes across Victoria would be astronomical, uh, especially when you compare it to a, a line of white paint. Is that something we can physically and financially achieve? Oh, absolutely, and I think it's it's an imperative now. We've kind of moved beyond this conversation of, of bike riding as being something that might be nice to have. Um, in our in in throughout Australia, it is now an an absolute imperative that we shift people um, out of cars and onto more active and sustainable modes of, of transport. 
And I mean, bike riding's a, a bit of a magical pill. It's it's fantastic for physical health um, and reduces the likelihood of major health risks. Um, it enhances mental health. People who commute by bicycle are twice as happy as those mm. who drive or catch public transport. There's huge opportunities to reduce emissions. So the the cost benefits that we get from bike riding are unparalleled. For every dollar invested in bike riding returns on average $5 in economic benefit to Australia. So it's effectively a, a no-brainer to be investing in bike riding and to be getting more people on bikes. So many texts. This saying, I live two doors down from High Street in Thomastown. There is no space for a bike line. And Carol, who's in Hadfield, said, I have to cycle every day. And I'm one of those people who now have to do it because I can no longer afford a car and for environmental reasons as well. The main problem I have is that the bicycle lanes are also parking lanes for cars. Cyclists have to go in and out of traffic to get around the parked cars on top of avoiding the ones that are using their doors without looking. It's extremely dangerous for everyone. Some cars get quite upset because we're not fast enough for them and they accelerate as soon as possible by tutting at us angrily for simply being on the road. But on a positive side, I'm genuinely grateful for the amazing bike path under the train lines. They are fantastic. We've had multiple people, Ben, say when we are designing infrastructure and designing roads so that cars and bikes can get along side by side. Are there any cyclists that are on these designing boards and committees and that are behind some of these decisions? Yeah, I think we're really seeing now a, a progression towards the recognition of the role of, of having this type of high quality infrastructure. Um, there's massive potential for, for increases in, in bike riding. Um, our research has demonstrated that 78% of Victorians are interested in, in riding a bike, but only when they can feel safe. And, and I think one of the really interesting findings from this study was the, the high level of interest in bike riding um, was also present in, in kind of groups that have traditional lower participation, including women and, and people living in outer urban fringe areas. And so what we need to be doing now is focusing on those underrepresented groups and making sure that we let the voices and the stories of these groups inform how we actually progress equitable bike riding. And we've got to meaningfully and respectfully partner with these groups to be able to bring them along for the ride. We need them to actually inform what infrastructure they need, how they feel when they're riding, um, and in a way that we can then use the community to try and drive how we can actually advance um, uh, increasing the, the, and enhancing the safety of people who ride bikes. You touched on a really interesting point there, Ben, um, because we know for every woman that's riding a bike in Melbourne, there are two blokes doing the same thing. Are men and women's needs when it comes to bicycle safety different? And what do, oh, not to use the, the off-coined phrase, but what do women want when it comes to riding a bike? <laughs> Uh, it's a great question, and as a male, I shouldn't be answering this question, but fortunately I've got a, a fantastic research fellow in my group, Dr Lauren Pearson, who does an amazing array of work in, in really, really trying to understand the barriers that, that women women face. And there's a whole lot of really specific concerns that, that women face, and that, that includes um, their fears about falling off their bike and into oncoming traffic. Um, they also describe in, encountering issues regarding their, their confidence in bike riding, um, whether that's about 
bike purchase, bike maintenance, through to, to riding their bike. Um, but what we need to do is involve women in design and decisions about infrastructure needs. And, and this comes back to this conversation around how we bring underrepresented groups uh, along for the, for the ride. And really, at the moment, our environments and our infrastructure aren't supportive of underrepresented groups in, in bike riding, such as women. Um, but we have this opportunity to be able to catch up to other cities around the world and ensure that we have as many women riding as men. But we have to make sure that we keep these underrepresented groups front of mind when we're considering how we design our cities. Just finally, Ben, what about for regional areas? I mean, how possible is it and how much infrastructure needs to be built in regional areas and how long will that take? Oh, it's it, it, again taking this equitable approach. It, it needs to be a huge focus area in terms of how we can actually get people riding in regional areas. And Penny's um, described earlier some of the opportunities that exist in terms of um, nature-based solutions and how we can kind of create really wonderful riding environments. So. Our, our opportunities exist very much across mm. the entirety of Australia to get more people riding. I mean, more than more than 50% of trips are, um, across Victoria um, are less than five kilometres. So we've got this opportunity to be able to transform how we move about our cities. And we're kind of really at the dawn of this transformative era, era for, for bike riding. Um, and I think our ability to, to get um, a whole array of different people of all ages and all abilities um, bike riding is on our doorstep, but we've got to take some really critical action um, to be able to, to make those steps forward. We're at the door. We've just got to go through it. Ben Beck, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thanks very much for having me. That was Ben Beck, Senior Research Fellow at the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine, Rochelle. Uh, he touches on a good point. When I like that you brought up regional Victoria. We aren't at the same place that Melbourne's at. I mean, you've got bike lanes. I don't have footpaths in Port Ferry. So there, there are con- contrasting elements of what we need to fix and how do we even do it at the same time? Then there's the physical side, but then there's almost the emotional and social side to it. And there's great text here that says, I'd actually like to reflect that Europe, the road rules are that motorists who hit cyclists are in the wrong until they can prove otherwise. Good infrastructure helps, but cultural change would be far more valuable. I would probably need to fact check that, but that's coming mm. through from a text. Anne's in Keelor. Anne, how is it where you are? Um, okay. Um, uh, what I wanted to say is that my husband was killed seven years ago cycling to work. Oh, Anne, I'm uh, so sorry. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, now, neither uh, neither the truck driver nor Nick did anything wrong. They were all completely safe. The, the, t- the combined speed was about 5K. But the road made the truck driver um, actually come onto the curb and knock him off. So they've now redesigned the road. What I wanted to say is that no particular person needs to be at fault. Sometimes it is a situation and we just need to be a bit kinder to each other. And and work out what is actually going to be most beneficial. It's so true, Anne, and that's the reality of it, isn't it, Mm -hmm. is that we need to respect each other on the road. I mean, Mm. so many texts are coming in saying just the rush, the rush, you know, the rush to the commute and and the attitude, Mm. whether it be from it's not one versus the other, it's it's both. And 
Oh, it really hits home. And thank you for sharing your story. And again, we're really sorry for the loss of your husband. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. I mean, it really puts it into perspective when you get that, doesn't it? That, yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Ken's in Phillip Island. Morning, Ken. Good morning. What did you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to say, and actually <laughs> waiting to answer the call, I thought of something. Um, about 64 years ago, which is a while back, um, I rode from Broadmeadows to the... Uh, Channel 7, Channel 9 studios in the city and felt safe the whole way. No way known today would I do it. And what occurs to me is that the roads are designed basically for cars and that's how it's been for 40 odd years. And therefore, you know, they, they don't widen the road at all to allow for bikes. They just, they just infringe on the area that the cars have been used to using to create bike tracks. Well, you've, you've got to redesign the whole thing. So, so how long ago did you say you'd ride that whole way and you felt safe? 64 years. Um, so what's changed? Is it just more cars on the road or do you think it's designed oh, well, to just... Well, now you've got trams running down the centre of the city. You've got um, curbs that come out like... <laughs> you talk about pedestrians. Well, you know, a lot of space left for pedestrians, but nothing much for cyclists between cars and you know, the, the curb. And, mm. and then, yeah, so you've, you've got to look at the whole, holistically, the whole thing and say, well, who are we designing this for? You know, I mean, That's even the question. freeway, you can't go on a freeway if you're on a bike, you're not allowed to. Who are we designing this for? I mean, I think that kind of sums it up. And can you physically design for both? Yeah, and that's the question. One of the interesting things, we're asking what can be done and how do you fix this? Paul's called in from Watsonia with an idea. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good day. How's it going? Um, look, I was ringing up um, just two quick points. One, um, if cyclists are driving on a, like a dual carriageway where there's just one lane either way, if they, did, if they didn't ride three abreast or two abreast and allow traffic to pass safely, um, that would lessen a lot of frustration. Um, and the other thing is, a um, bit of pay for use as well. Like, I'm not saying pay to ride on bike tracks that are already down parklands and stuff like that. Like, I've got a young family and we go for bike rides. But um, if they're going to be riding on the road, um, just have a tag or something hanging off the back of their bike to say that they've paid, you know, whether it's 100 bucks a year or whatever, just to put some more money towards the, um, the bike lanes because as a driver, you know, you pay registration and fuel tax and all that sort of stuff, uh, which goes towards the roads, but the cyclists aren't paying. You've got, we've got to get money going towards it to pay for it. That might be a way to do it. Well, there's text here that says I'm a cyclist and I cycle to work each day. I also work for a local council. Implementing and improving cycle lanes on both roads and off-roads is always challenging because of retrofitting areas for cyclists. It's from Anonymous, but I guess that would come at a huge cost as well. What changes would you like to see where you live? And as a cyclist, do you feel safe on the road? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Daniel Miles with you in Warrnambool. A text from Torquay from Raf Daniel that says, Torquay has got great beaches, but unfortunately fragmented little bike rides that don't connect. The Surf Coast Shire has no plan. I envy city ride riders with trails that link up. That's, mm. I mean, that's fundamental in the design really, isn't it? That you can have little trails, but then if they don't link up, what do you... Because that's the dangerous bit is when they don't link. 
Yeah, and I mean, I've I've experienced that myself. Like we're we're really lucky in Southwest Victoria. We use old rail trails, and you can ride along where the old rail lines used to go. But all of a sudden, you find yourself crossing where you've got grain trucks and dairy tankers going across, and you're looking for the next part of the thing. Is there? Have we missed the ball here with planning in some spots where, you know, we just haven't thought through exactly how many people are going to be hopping on a bike and using these um, these roads? And, gosh, that does sound like a bit of a, yeah. a missed opportunity. That's we'll right. And as we see regional areas peak, the surf coast is bursting at mm-hmm. the seams. You know, places like Bendigo are bursting at the seams. And Nicola Dunnicliffe-Wells is the president of Bike Bendigo. Nicola, what changes are you seeing or would you like to see so that cyclists and, and motorists can share the road in Bendigo? Because, I mean, I spend a lot of time in Bendigo and you get peak hour there now. It's busy. <laughs> You're right. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Um, look, I, I have to say, I, I'm pretty... Um, Optimistic. I, I agree with Ben. I feel like we are a bit on the cusp of of a big change. I um, I feel like the language from authorities, like you know, the Department of Transport and and local councils, is changing over the say that the last five years or so. Um, for example, by uh, City of Greater Bendigo has just released a draft of their road safety action plan, and the language around that is the, the, there's a big focus on active and sustainable transport and connected active transport networks, which is music to my ears. <laughs> um, Bike, Bike Bendigo has been um, advocating for connected and separated um, infrastructure so that people can go by bike without having to ride on the roads with traffic because as as has been really plain this morning, that's that's really key for most people, most people don't feel comfortable riding on the roads. And so I think I think the authorities really are starting to, um, as I say, change their language around that sort of thing. And certainly in Bendigo, there's some, there is some exciting work in the pipeline. Um, we do have, we do have some great off-road tracks uh, in Bendigo. The difficulty is that they don't usually, if you can get a long way on those tracks, but you probably can't get mm. all the way to your destination, particularly if it's in central Bendigo. Um, what what I'm excited about is that there is in the pipeline some some plans to have some separated um, infrastructure through the city of through the centre of town, through the city centre, which is just going to be a game changer, so that people can yes. ride mm. separated from cars right to to the many destinations. That's it, to get around the big fountain. You know, that's a big roundabout there, trying to get around yeah. the fountain in Bendigo. <laughs> yeah. Well, the paths, I mean, do well, they connect to schools? Some of them do. And and I think, again, that's, we we just have to keep advocating and keep saying that, you know, and pointing out where the gaps are. I think that's, that's part of it as well. But it's also about... Um, raising awareness about where the paths are for people in the community. Because if you drive, like if you ride a bike, I would not ride the same way that I would drive if I was, you know, for, for many of my destinations, I'll drive down the main road. I will ride either on the on the bike path, the separated bike path, or or try and find quiet streets so that might run roughly parallel to the to the main road that um, a low volume, like not not much traffic and low speed. And that's, I guess, um, the main thing is 
is to try to find, uh, I think, to try to find places where you're just minimising your interaction with cars. Mm. And you can do that a lot of, you can't get everywhere, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of places that you can get with very little interaction with cars or, or for short sections. And it's those short sections that we are trying to eventually, um, you know, fill in those gaps. Um, but but I do think, so Bike Bendigo, one of our projects at the moment, we're doing uh, some mapping so that we can try and um, raise awareness in the community about all these secret yeah. little, you know, Absolutely. just through this little reserve here or, or that street there, that little quiet street will link this path with that path. And linking and it all together. I mean, I think that's the mm-hmm. key there. Nicola, thank you so much and for taking us to Bendigo. And Nicola Dunnicliffe-Wells there, who's the president of Bike Bendigo and connecting those tracks, whether it be Torquay or Bendigo and knowing that you can get from where you need to be, you know, from mm. A to B. And I think having safe bike paths to schools would be it, fundamental. <laughs> it feels like a no-brainer when you're talking about how to get young people on a bike and to stay on a bike. That's probably the way to do it is to get them actually <laughs> where they need to go. Dan Knipp is the Chief Executive Officer of the Amy Gillett Foundation. And, Dan, this is something that obviously is incredibly close to your heart. What would you like to see? I mean, we're seeing a change in culture to a certain degree in Victoria in that more and more of us are cycling for multiple reasons, whether it be for fitness, recreation or commute, cost of living for the environment. So we're seeing a huge rise in the uptake. But the number of deaths that we're seeing uh, as a result of people cycling is still horrific. What changes would you like to see? Yeah, hi, Rochelle. Hi, Daniel. And, and this is a really valuable conversation. So we're, we're grateful that you've, you've done today's conversation hour on it. Um, there was 10.1 million Australians rode a bike in the last year. So, you know, that's that's more than than all the football codes in Epple and Creek combined. It's, it's something Australians love to do. Um, but it does happen way too much. So it's, it's, it's really horrible hearing. Um, and from Kilo, who's lost her husband, um, he's been killed while cycling. Yeah. But this happens all the time, like you started with. Angus was killed in Footscray last week, uh, the weekend before, um, a man called Tony Rickman in country Victoria. So it's it's something that that, that is happening way too often. Um, you also raised, raised the conversation around the, the cost, the, the economic costs of bike lanes, but that's cycling deaths. Um, each day, 20 hospital beds are required for cyclists, usually being hit by cars. So that's 7,000 plus hospital beds a year. So, so there's an enormous cost attached to that. Um, Dr. Ben Beck did some great stats on, on the value of cycling, yeah. but I love that you're coming back to engineering and bike lanes. Um, there's there's a really good Australian researcher, her quote is, if you want to measure how safe a road is, you count the number of women riding on it because mm. we make most of our roads so dangerous that it scares every cyclist away, particularly women and kids. And, and the main group that are left are the most confident cyclists who love it the most and they're willing to put up with quite dangerous circumstances and that's men in lycra and you'll love that you bring the conversation back to engineering and designs because we have to design roads that expect a mistake a mistake from the driver a mistake from the cyclist so we need to have roads so that when the driver makes a mistake it doesn't cause a cyclist or a pedestrian to be killed and a lot of that comes down to separated bike lanes but you've also raised some really good questions around engineer training. Um, we work with a, with a company in Victoria that does engineer training and um, it's it's not done much and it's not done well. And part of their course is they get um, road engineers to get on a bike. And this particular engineer wasn't comfortable cycling a bike on the road that he had designed. Oh my goodness. Mm. 
Then, and I don't know many other areas of, of design where yeah. someone can, can, can die or there can be a risk mm. and, and there's not better training or, or accountability for that. You you hit the nail on the head with the accountability word. Do we have a lack of accountability for some of these engineering or design failures? Is there more that we need to do to hold these mistakes to account to ensure that we don't have them again, that we don't have engineers who don't feel comfortable writing on their own designs? Yeah, that there's not good accountability. There's not good training. Um, the conversation around Angus Collins and Footscray. I went out to that to that intersection yesterday, and it's it's just an absolute engineering failure. There's there's a pillar blind spot, um, but also people have been talking about the traffic light sequencing. So we were part of a coroner's inquest to Azu Karakok. She was she was killed while cycling in 2017. Really similar circumstances with a left turn truck. Um, the findings were handed down in 2021, and one of those was that the, the light sequencing should change. Now, those recommendations haven't been followed. So we've gone through this really expensive coroner's inquest that has come out with some 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 really uh, clear outcomes that haven't been done. And what's really difficult in all of this is, is it's preventable. You know, we're talking about these cyclists, but you, you have to remember that the, the truck driver might have just made a really simple mistake, um, but their life's going to be really ruined from this. It's, you know, no one wins out of this. It's, it's terrible for, the, for the, the cyclist family. It's terrible for the driver's family. We want roads that are safer for cyclists and less stress, stressful for drivers. So we want the same outcome for both groups. Absolutely. I just couldn't have put it better. And that's the thing. Sometimes it is a simple mistake or you, as we've heard today, our roads are complex. There's a lot going on that people aren't deliberately... You know, they're not running red lights or they're not running amber lights or they're not doing necessarily anything wrong. It's just whether it be poor design or too much happening in a particular intersection. We thank you for your time and for your work that you do as well because it is incredible work that you do at the Amy Gillett Foundation. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks, Daniel. Dan Knipp there, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Amy Gillett Foundation. So many texts, Daniel Miles, mm. absolutely impossible to be able to keep up with them. But Peter in Ballarat sent one and it said, G'day, Rish and Daniel. Frankly, it's a very simply resolution to many of the problems being discussed. And that comes down to the sense of entitlement. I don't ride a bike, by the way, but drivers need to get a grip. So a bike slows you down for 30 seconds. So what? Get over yourself. You're running two minutes late for work? That doesn't equate to somebody ending up dead. I'd much rather be happier seeing police crack down on aggressive drivers who seem to think they're more important than anyone else. Slow down. Breathe. You'll get there. Learn some consideration. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, Peter. I don't mind that, Peter. Well done. I say that to myself all the time because you do find mm. yourself getting stressed, right? And at the beginning oh. of the year when we're less stressed, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, s- chill out, Rish. I know. What does Holiday Daniel is so much calmer than work, <laughs> Daniel. And Holiday Daniel comes back into the office and, you know, I've got that zen feel. I'm still out in the ocean. I'm still catching waves. And I've got that feeling of, you know, if I'm 30 seconds late, I'm 30 seconds late, but I'm getting there. But it does and someone snowball else is that getting stress. There. You know, someone yeah. else is getting there too. And someone else is getting home, which is the, the real tragic underscore to this whole conversation is that every nine days, someone doesn't come home from that ride and that affects a whole family and a whole community. So as much as, you know, it, it can be a frustration to be that little bit late, it can be difficult to share the roads when you're under pressure. The conversation comes back to Angus needs to get home. And this week, Angus didn't. 
As always, Daniel Miles joining us from ABC Warrnambool. Daniel, thanks so much for today and apologies to everyone if we say this every show, but we mean it if we didn't get to your call, if we didn't read your text out loud. It's not that we didn't see it and that we didn't want to. So thanks to everyone who contributed. We'll talk soon. Talk soon.